Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Uh, and I guess it feels like it's been a while since the last one, even though I think it's because we recorded on a Sunday, right? We did? Yeah, it was last Sunday. That's probably why. We're recording on a Saturday today because... Well, we'll get into it. But first, how was your week? It wasn't a bad week. We uh, we won uh, the our Champions League first leg. I mean, it's only halftime, basically. Uh, shout out to Olivia for just sending us good juju for that game. It was... Um, we didn't play well. Um, I mean, I don't think we were in at risk in the game, but we just... It was weird. It was a weird game. I mean, um, they, they had a couple chances, but we should have put some away as well. Um, and Robbo didn't get to play because he had uh, he was suspended because of too many yellows. But he'll be back in the next game. But you know, two nothing going to Porto. I mean, we just have to get a goal. If we can get a goal, that will that means they'll have to score four. And I don't think they're putting four against us. Um, and then we're well, we have our regular Premier League game tomorrow. We play Chelsea Ooh. and um, at home, and Man City plays before us. So um, we still have a game in hand. But if somehow Man City say they tie or lose. And we win, then um, then we are really on top of the league <laughs> because we'll have that game in hand. Won't matter if we win out. Yeah. So tomorrow's a big Let's game. Like so. I mean, if we can win tomorrow, um, that just puts all the pressure on the world because Chelsea's probably our toughest last. Um, you know, you know. I shouldn't say it's every game's going to be hard because we have to play Cardiff and well, Cardiff yeah. is fighting for uh, relegation, so they're going to put everything out. But um, but if we can win tomorrow. It, we're in pole position then and then it's basically win out and if city wins out again again city deserves it you know i would say um but yeah no that's pretty much from a soccer perspective so uh that's yeah. all yeah pretty much that was a boring week i think besides soccer stuff well your mom was gone for the week so um it that was you know it. you you failed as your nagging part i mean you nagged well actually you did the nagging i shouldn't say well kind of no actually not even there you didn't no yeah. I, I don't know. I wasn't really measuring my momness. Maybe it's because I mentioned it beforehand. I messed up. But Well, again, could have just had dinner ready, if, you know. Oh, my. You know, I did. I actually am very proud of myself. Okay, no, not th- not for that. I know you literally set everything up and everything. I'm proud of myself for the timing. Reading instructions? No, for my timing. This is not even worth airtime. Just let's go on. I don't want to hear the airtime. Your timing of getting home in time to turn off the oven. I said a whole timer. It was like a whole action movie. I got back in the house right as the timer went off and everything. It was amazing. Okay. It was great. That's right. I don't need any hate from you, okay? It's not hate. Yes, it is. No. That's hate. No. You're being a hater. No. <laughs> no. Wow. Okay. Well. Uh, I guess this week we're recording on a Saturday because, uh, it is time for the big April break college tour extravaganza. We're going to places such as Skidmore, uh, Oberlin, uh, American University, uh, George Washington University, uh, Georgetown, uh, we might go to Georgetown too. Hamilton College. Uh, and we're not going there, but this week I decided I'm suddenly interested in McGill. And we already went to Bowdoin. And we might go to Wesleyan on Sunday. Yeah. College. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if we're alive by the end of this trip. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we're going to do some kind of vlog thing to see how long we survive. Yeah, it'll be interesting, like, the before and afters. We'll see how it goes. But um, but we're going to have to write our story. Well, yours might be a two-parter, so I still have to write my story on the road. Part, so I'll have to figure out something. Maybe I'll get inspired on our, <laughs> on our road trip. For this is about a man who killed his whole family <laughs> while on a road trip. Um, 
All right. Do we have anything else to say? No, I don't think so. I think, um, I think we're, yeah, no, I think, I think we're just trying to get ready because we have to still pack some stuff. So we're yep. trying to get this recording um, ready to go. So yeah, we're ready to go, I think. All right. Then yeah. without further ado, my story. All right. So uh, this week I have an in-between. Uh, and hopefully you did a true crime. I did do a true crime. I think technically this could maybe also be paranormal, but like it's not ghosts, so it's not normal. <laughs> uh, but I think it fits more as an in between. Okay. So this week I'm gonna be telling you about Betty and Barney Hill. Know nothing about it. All right. Well, uh, the only hint I gave you was that my episode title for this could be like a multitude of David Bowie songs. Right. That's true. Did that give any inkling? Maybe. I just thought, like, space and, like, aliens yeah. and, like... Yeah, it's an alien abduction. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I'm still choosing between Bowie songs right now. Good. Um, we need Bowie. I don't think we have Bowie on our Spotify list. Yeah, I think Bowie would be a good one to go with. I Actually, my song, I finally got a Frank Turner song. You did? I did for this one, yeah. Hey, hey. All right. Well, um... My very first bullet point calls for you to go to the drive and look at a picture. So, go do that. To the zero zero? Zero zero. I'm there. All right. Cool. So, the, that's Betty and Barney Hill. What? They're posing with their dog. Yes, they are. At like a, It's a portrait picture. Their dog's name is Delcy. All right. Right dog. there, then. If they got abducted, they deserved it. Huh. Go. They're nice people. I'm not saying they're not nice people. I don't understand this. It's the sixties. What what? I don't know. It's the sixties. Okay. People did weird stuff in the sixties. Alright. I'm sure that this is like a more mundane thing for people to do in the sixties. Yeah. For abducting abduct oh uh, abduction conspirit conspirators? What what's the word? I don't know. Go. Let's go. Alright. Well, uh so Barney worked as a mailman and Betty was a a social worker. Uh, so the two were an interracial couple. Uh, Betty was white and Barney was black. What um, year is this? This is 1961. So was it legal in all states yet? No. Probably not. They're in New Hampshire. I don't know if it was legal. I mean, it must have been legal in New Hampshire because they were married. Were they married in New Hampshire or were they married somewhere else? I don't know. I don't. No, that's okay. It's just that that's, that's, I mean. Yeah, for the time. And that'll actually come up later, so. Okay. Um, well, later is in next episode because it comes up at the end of my story. Um, so, September 19th, 1961, at 10.30 p.m. Uh, Betty and Barney were driving back from Niagara Falls, actually. Oh. <laughs> we're going to stop by Niagara Falls on our way out. Yes, and I think they had stayed in uh, Montreal. So they're on the ca Canadian side. Yes, coming okay. back um, towards where they lived in Portsmouth. Is that what it was? Portsmouth? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. You can get to Canada through New Hampshire. That's what we did. Well, they were going back from Canada? Both. Well, I mean, either way, there's a, there's a um, custom. So maybe we crossing. drove along the same road that they did when we yep. went. We probably did not. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I wanted to have a... Never mind. It's always okay. about you. Yeah, it is. This okay. is a podcast that I am on, and so I will try to connect it to myself in any way possible. All right, well. So anyway, uh, once they were south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, uh, Betty observed a bright light in the sky. Was uh, it the sun? <laughs> well, it was 10.30 p.m., so okay. I sure hope The not. moon? <laughs> she described it as moving from, quote, below the moon uh, and the planet Jupiter upwards toward the west of the moon. Okay. So... The moon was there, but it was like. Wait, she said it was moving from planet Jupiter. No, it was, mo it was moving from below the moon and planet Jupiter. It goes below those. So two that things. meant that meant that Jupiter was. You could see Jupiter. Yes, you could see Jupiter. Okay. Uh, so at first she thought it was a a falling star, but moving upwards. So okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which <laughs> I don't understand. Um. But as it grew bigger and brighter, she asked her husband to pull the car over and get a better look, as well as to walk their dog, Delcy, who was in the car with them. 
Uh, so Betty took out some binoculars and looked at the floating point thing and observed a, quote, odd-shaped craft uh, traveling across the face of the moon, flashing with multicolored lights. Okay. Uh, and several years earlier, Betty's sister had claimed to see a flying saucer, so this led Betty to think, ha-ha, aliens. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, so then Barney looked through the binoculars and reasoned that the object was just a commercial airliner moving from Vermont to Montreal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, however, after watching the craft rapidly descend towards him without seeming to turn, he changed his mind. Uh, specifically, he thought, quote, this object that was a plane was not a plane. <laughs> and that's a direct quote from the article. So... Uh, the two returned to the car and uh, drove towards Franconia Notch, which was a narrow stretch of road. It is. Oh, okay. We've, well, I don't know if we've driven with you, but yeah. I okay. didn't know it was that well known. It is. Oh, okay. Uh, so they drove slowly along the road, observing the object as it came closer and closer. So they watched the object pass by the old man of the mountain. You can go to the next picture. And you can go to the next one after that, too. It's just, like, two different sizes. Yep. Um, and Betty said it was, quote, at least one and a half times the length of the granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet, uh, which was 40 feet long, and it seemed to be rotating. Okay. So, flying saucer. Yep. Uh, and then the craft began to move erratically, bouncing back and forth. So they kept driving until the object rapidly descended upon the vehicle, stopping about 80 to 100 feet above the car. Uh, so Barney stopped the car in the middle of the barren highway, and the object filled the entire view of the windshield, and their car was a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. And this is 1961, 10.30 in the evening. Yeah. Okay. What? September. I'm just, I'm just, eh, maybe again, it was 60s, maybe there weren't that many people on the road, but all right. Well, it says that there was nobody on the road. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and then the article also said it reminded Barney of a pancake. <laughs> all right. So very thin. Yep. Uh, so Barney stepped out of his car, uh, carrying a pistol in his pocket. Uh, then using binoculars, he looked up at the craft and you can go to the next picture. It's just a picture of, or a drawing of it. Okay. Uh, he saw 8 to 11 humanoid figures staring down at him from the windows on the craft, as you can see there. Uh, and then all but one of the figures moved to, quote, what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the, of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. Okay. Which doesn't make sense if you just read it out, no, but if you like look so, at the picture, it makes basically, sense. Basically, it's like windows on the outside, the inner, inner wall yeah. is a panel. Yeah. Okay. And you can go to the next picture, too. It's just a picture of them with the thing. And their dog. Okay. They love their dog. Mm-hmm. I love the dog. Anyway, so, um, uh, so you can go to the next picture now. It's just sort of a map of where they, how they got home. All right. Uh, so the remaining figure in that was in the craft, uh, telepathically communicated to Barney saying, quote, stay where you are and keep looking. So according to Barney, the figures were wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Uh, so the craft emitted red lights in a thin beam from bat wing like fins on the side of it. Uh, and a long ramp began to descend. You can go to the next picture. Um, so, it approached about 50 to 80 feet overhead and um, about 300 feet away. Okay. So, Barney, now afraid, uh, tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to the car. He told Betty, quote, they're going to capture us. So the object shifted again, now directly above the vehicle. Um, Barney began to drive away at full speed, telling Betty to keep an eye on the craft. 
She rolled down the window and looked at it. Then, a, quote, rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle, uh, came from the UFO. And their car vibrated, uh, and a tingling sensation passed through their bodies. Uh, they said that, at the moment, they experienced an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. So, the buzzing had, like, stopped and then returned, and they regained full consciousness. Once they had, like, realized, like, what was going on again, they had traveled almost 35 miles south, and they couldn't completely remember the sections of road that they had driven on to get there. So they remembered making a, quote, sudden, unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. But nothing else. Okay. So, the couple arrived home at dawn. So they turned off a closed road, saw an orb, and then they were home. Yeah, they. I think they saw it and then turned around and went back. But and like, then just drove home. That's all they remembered. Okay. So they arrived at dawn. Uh, they experienced then odd impulses that they couldn't explain. Uh, Betty insisted that they put their luggage near the back door instead of the main part of the house where they usually did. Uh, both of their watches had mysteriously stopped working. Uh, the leather strap of Barney's binoculars were torn, uh, even though he couldn't remember it tearing. Uh, the toes of his dress shoes were scraped. And um, Barney later reported that he felt compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, but he found nothing unusual. Alright. Uh, which I'll get to later. I'm not sure if it'll be in this part of the next part, but we'll see. So, uh, each of them took a long shower to, quote, remove possible contamination, but they didn't know, like, of what or anything, uh, and drew a picture of what they observed. Okay. Uh, so the Hills then tried to piece together what had happened, but realized their memories had become fragmented immediately after hearing the buzzing sounds. Okay. Betty went to bed and slept for a few hours and then woke up. Uh, she put away her shoes and clothing that she was wearing on the trip, but quickly realized that her dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. And you can go to the next picture. Okay. So that's the dress. All right. Um... Also, later, she noticed a pinkish powder on the dress, but it blew away when she hung it up to dry. Or maybe just hung it up. I don't know. All right. Uh, when she decided that the dress was irreparably damaged, she threw it out. But then uh, later, she retrieved it and put it back in her closet. Gotcha. Uh, so then, at some point, they went back out to their car and noticed shiny concentric circles on the trunk. All right, so from the beam or the the sounds or whatever? Yes, and when they took a compass and moved it near the circles, the needles moved wildly. All right, I'm just, that's a big leap from going, oh, let's just break out a compass, but maybe there was other things to make them. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't tell me like how they got that idea. Get, got to that point? All right, yeah. whatever. So uh, at this point, the next day, it was September 21st, uh, and... The Hills called the Pease Air Force Base to report the encounter. We drive by the Pease Air Force Base every time we go up through on the way to Maine. Really? Yeah, it's right at the border of New Hampshire. Oh, cool. Uh, so on September 22nd, uh, Major Paul W. Henderson called back and asked the, t the couple for a more detailed interview. Um, the resulting report uh, was forwarded to Project Blue Book, uh, the U.S. Air Force's UFO research pro uh, project. So soon after the encounter, Betty checked out a book about UFOs from the local library and wrote to the author, a retired Marine Corps major called Donald E. Kehoe, about her encounter. Okay. So uh, Kehoe forwarded the letter to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and an NICAP Oh, person. I just 
left that off. Uh, and the NICAP is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Okay. My goodness, it's like anemone. <laughs> <laughs> so, fast forward to October 21st. Uh, Webb met with the Hills for a six-hour interview. Uh, in this interview, Barney mentioned how he had developed a mental block and believed that he had willingly forgotten some parts of the abduction because they were too traumatic. Webb later stated that, quote, they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved. Yeah, okay. Ten days after the encounter, so this is a little bit before October 21st, but ten days after the encounter, Betty began to have a series of strange and vivid dreams. Okay. To be continued. So I know that was a little bit short, um, but I thought that was a good stopping point. No, that's fine. I think that's pretty good because I think it gets us to the point where it's a good, it's a good you know, like uh, cliffhanger. Yeah. Right. Plus my stuff Stay about Stay tuned the until next yeah. week. What are the dreams about? Yeah, but my dreams go on for like a couple pages, so I figured I should stop there. Was Betty drinking? <laughs> was What's the dog's name? Delcy? Delcy. Was Delcy there too? Maybe. Who knows? Tune in next week for... Did she wake up with cold sweats? (laughs) What did Barney do? Did Barney get help her or not? All these questions will not get answered because they probably have no point. The questions that are going to get answered are what the dreams were and and then learn more about, you know. Some of them will get answered. I have have to say, it's a tough one for me with aliens. Like, Like, I'm not... I'm not scared about it. Like, I guess there's not that fear part. Like, I, I think it's intriguing. Yes, I believe there's got to be other life forms oh, yeah. all over the place. I, kind of thing. I just, I know. I never, it never was. The something. abductions you don't believe? Like, again, uh, I'm all about, like, alien or, like, predator or, like, you know, that kind of thing. Or the thing. You know what I mean? Like, that. I'm all for that. Slither. I don't know. You've never seen Slither. Uh-uh. Um, the blob. <laughs> you know, that kind of things. All right. All right. Well, my story um, is a true crime Ooh. because... I was forced to do this, and that, again, I oh get, my, I have to die. No, um, uh, it was uh, this one is um, so. The hints you'll see early on. Did you didn't and you, you didn't know? So the the. Oh, hint, I knew that that was Robert Redford. Robert Redford. The other one's um, Ryan O'Neill. Okay. Um, and then uh, uh, the other one was about a psychic. Yeah. Okay. So. My story, again, is about, it's a spree killer, and it's a very random spree killer. Interesting. Um, it, the, the, it goes, it's over 37 states, but I don't know if, if, they, if somebody died in every state. It's just that this whole thing happened. Like throughout. Throughout, like states. this road trip thing of 37 <laughs> uh, states. And it was from July of 74 to November of 74. Um, so I'm going to just set the scene again, like just to get you, everyone to know what I'm talking about, to feel like you're there in the moment. All right. right so the seventies, we're in the seventies, you know, great decade of film. Yeah. Yes. You know, definitely. Godfather's one and two. You got the French connection, which I don't think you've seen Chinatown, the seen. sting. Um, and then you have all the others, right? You have like the horror movies of like the exorcist and, um, don't look back and all these other, other great films, the wicker man, all this other stuff, <laughs> but the seventies cool. Um, and this was interesting. So I was reading that book, um, the book from, um, William Goldman, the guy who wrote the princess bride, he wrote this whole thing about ho- the Hollywood and how movies were made. Um, are you still reading that book? Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. You've been reading it since before your birthday. But that's so long. It's not like I sit down and just read it cover to cover and then forget it like the rest of you people. Like you who are like, I I'm done now. I don't remember. What was that book about? I don't remember. I don't forget a... the content of oh, the book suck it. books are We're close to on. my heart. Um, but at that point, actors and actresses really became more influential because in the past it was always the studios that kind of ran everything. But yep. as time went on, the actors and actresses started to take more, like they used to get percentage of the movies and things like that. So the, the whole thing about being celebrity and a star were kind of changed in the 70s. Um, Learned so, that in my film studies class. So that <laughs> culture also um, changed the way I think celebrity met also in the United States. So 
from this perspective, the men that were idolized at the time, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Robert De Niro, you know, Marlon Brando. Um, But from a heartthrob perspective. Uh, Al Pacino is a heartthrob. Are you kidding me? Excuse me. No. Excuse me. From a heartthrob perspective, there's a whole other other level. Like you had Paul Newman, um, who was kind of like the guy, I mean, pretty much what it was. Um, But there was a new movie that had just come out around that time called Love Story that put one of the, a TV soap star, he was from Peyton Place, he kind of put him on the map. His name was Ryan O'Neill. Um, and then Paul Newman, actually, his co-star in two films, one from the late 60s, uh, Butch Cassidy Sundance Kid, and then more recently in the, I think, 72, The Sting, his co-star in both those was, was uh, Robert Redford. And Robert Redford just became like, you know, he was the ladies man in the sense that and he hated it like that wasn't what he wanted to be but again you know people are just like gaga for this guy so um however the story really isn't about redford and o'neill but they're they are connected to this killer because of their looks huh and the killer's looks interesting so here we go just to set the overview and get more into what's going on where it's November 7th, 1974. Sandy Fox is a British reporter. She had been offered a one-month trial by an American paper. Um, she had been at, a, I, can't remember, I can't remember the paper that she was in in the, in the UK, but she had been traveling around the States, just kind of doing reporting, trying to just you know show her wares, her, her skills, things like that. I think she tried to even interview um, the vice president at one point. But... Um, during this trip, she find her, found herself in Georgia, in, near, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and she was on her way to get to West Palm Beach, Florida. So when she arrived, her in Georgia at least, she figured she would hit up some of the local reporters at the Atlanta Constitution to just kind of like, hey, what, where to go? Show me around the town kind of thing. All right. Um, but before she went out there, she kind of like got settled, went to the hotel bar um, to get a quick bite and a drink. Um, Sandy liked to party. And she could hold her drink with the best of them. Like, there's a whole thing about her um, on how, she, like, who her mentors were and all these other things. So she, but she could drink. While she was at the bar, mm-hmm. a six foot tall, very handsome man, about 20 years her junior, um, asked her to dance. Um, and she politely declined, just basically because it was just kind of odd for her, even though she was his, he was her type, um, found her, found him attractive, but. She was basically saying, like, look, you know, I'm a journalist and I'm on my way out. I'm going to go meet these folks from the Atlanta Constitution. You know, thank you, but no thank you. Okay. Now, the guy was intrigued that she was a journalist. He's like, oh, journalist, you know, you know, where, where, and, you know, where'd you write? And they had some small talk. And she, you know, she told him a little bit, but again, I got to go. Um, And he goes, well, look, I, you know, I think that's an incredible job. I, you know, I I respect that. You know, journalism is key. Like, you got to tell the stories of what's happening, understand the facts and that kind of thing. And he goes, she goes like, I, he goes, I could tell you some stories. Um, Well, Sandy left, goes to go to to the Atlanta Constitution, gets there and there's like no one around. Like, basically, she's like, what? So she just finds her way back to the hotel. And when she's at the hotel, um, that man, it was still there. And he had a couple drinks they start chatting. She has a couple of drinks. He asks her to dance again. They start dancing. Um, and she had thought basically that, you know what? The night's not ending poorly. This guy's good looking. He's hot. He looks just like Robert Redford and Ro- Ro- uh, Ryan O'Neill, like a perfect mix. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's go for this. So they drink some more. They dance some more. Then the con, con, somehow the conversation turns on how long she's going to be in town, what she's writing about, what is he doing, and she's like, "Look, I'm actually only one more night. I got to get down to Florida because I got to go meet um, this guy to see if I get this job." And he's basically like, "Oh, funny you say that. I'm driving to Florida. Let, why don't you just come oh, with me?" No. So she's kind of you know hesitant, like, "Oh, what's going on?" And she basically says, "Let's. Uh, I, I don't know." And he introduced himself as Lester Daryl Gordon, and um, she's she's still kind of hedging her bets, and she's not naive, right? She's not, I mean, she's been around the block, that kind of thing. She's a decent reporter, and she just kind of laughs at him, going like, you know what, I'd be crazy to get a ride with you. I mean, for all I know, you're the Boston Strangler, and they <laughs> kind of laugh that off. Um, but by the night's end, 
she's sharing a bed with with Gordon. Oh my god. And they're making plans for this trip. By November 10th, so 3 days, it took them that long to get to Florida. They like drinking, partying, stopping at places all the way. Um she finally gets to meet this the 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 lawyer for this paper mm. and it doesn't work out. Like basically Aww. for whatever reasons it doesn't work out. And she's like, okay, well, you know what? I've had a great time. I've been here a month. It's time for me to get back to the UK. So she also knew that whatever this thing was with, with Gord, Daryl Gordon, um, she called him, she didn't like the name Lester. So she called him Daryl. Um, <laughs> wow. uh, she was done with the fling too. And she also, you know, she basically didn't think the sex was all that great either. So Ooh. she was kind of like, whatever, you know? Um, so she's, Basically telling him that I got, I, I'm going back to the UK. This has been great. This is like, you know, my American fling. Um, but I got to see a lot of people before I leave. So I think it's just best we part ways. And he's like, oh, come on, just one more night. You know, like I'm, I'm in here. And she's like, look, I'm not into long goodbyes. This is the best way we should do it. You know, we're, we're, we, we had a great time. You know, she kissed him on the forehead, that kind of thing. And they part ways. Aww. So the next day. So this is the 11th. Sandy is called by the police. And she's like, oh, what happened? It's about Daryl. And she's scared that the Daryl's been in an accident. So she goes down to the police station. And as she's there, she is asked if she knows a woman named Susan McKenzie. And Sandy's like, well, yeah, I do. I don't know her personally, but she's the wife of one of my reporter friends. Oh, no. And uh, she's in, you know, when did you last see her? She's like, well, I just, you know, just recently. I just came back down from Georgia, blah, blah, blah. She goes, um, well, she was um, uh, almost raped by your friend, Daryl. Whoa. And she's like, what? Um, And she's now like, what do you mean? And, you know, finds out that somehow... Daryl offered to give her a ride to to a hairdressing appointment the next day, so they all kind of met together as a group, you know, when they were there, oh. kind of thing. And uh, but she escaped because he pulled down this back road, and she got out and called the police and everything. And he was now on the run, oh. and uh, he would be captured on the twenty first, so ten days after they kind of part ways, uh, Sandy and him. Um, and in that time, he would have killed two people. Oh wow! And one of them is a police officer. Oh, my God. Sandy would soon learn that Daryl was was not his real name. And he had been involved in at least 20 killings previous to her meeting him. 20 killings. And maybe as many as 35. Holy moly. With the majority of them happening just in the last four months. Oh, my God. Sandy would then stay because she was one of the last people to see him and could identify him. Yeah, Um, wow. And she would end up writing this article for the Atlanta Constitution about her three days with this guy. Um, and it was published a couple days before he was captured. Um, Sandy would also, years later, write a book about her time, about him, and researching him. It, she would call it would be she called it uh, "Killing Time." Oh wow! And that's really where the references to um, Redford and O'Neill became prominent because she would talk about that specifically, and that's what earned him the nickname, the Casanova Killer. This I've, is a story. I feel like I've heard of this of Paul John. Knowles. Paul, I feel like I know that that name. So now, we go to the crime timeline. Crime timeline. <laughs> um, I want to just give. I'm gonna go through my sources. So the sources were uh, this parcast.com, which is like this other. They they do a bunch of um, podcasts, but they had a great, nice little write up for this. Um, there is a site called soserial.wordpress.com that do, does a bunch on serial killers. Had a good write up, a good uh, timeline of their of the killings. All that's interesting. Murderpedia, of course. Ranker had some stuff. Um, and then uh, the one shout out though, I do really want to give out to this website called crimereads.com. I'm not sure. Maybe you're familiar with it. I wasn't. Nice. Um, the woman's name is uh, Sarah Weinman. It's a great site. Like I, she doesn't like. It's not hundreds of, but. She talks about all different aspects of crime, but um, I really like the site, so crimereads.com. All right, so Paul John Knowles was born on April 14th, 1946 in Orlando, Florida. He was rebellious. He was a rebellious child from the get-go. Um, by the age of eight, he was already caught um, for petty theft. Huh. Um, he was then in and out of reform schools. He had no problem talking back to um, anyone in authority, adults, teachers, and the attention he received from his classmates just made him thrive to do it more and more. So he was oh, all about no. being the center of attention by basically 
doing whatever he could to um, be disobedient or cause any type of problems. He became obsessed with infamous criminals. Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, Jesse James, Billy the Kid, you name it. Those were his But like thing. Western, the cowboy. like Yeah, but I mean for the time, I think, you know. Oh, yeah. That's just the movies same. also, there's a bunch of movies going on. And that was his point to be, I wanted the same attention. I want to be infamous. That's my goal. By 19, he had dropped out of school and his crimes escalated from petty theft to kidnapping. Oh, my God. And he traded then basically being in reform schools to being in jail, mostly, again, for petty crime. But um, he did try to kidnap a policeman. Actually, I think he did kidnap a policeman. Uh, how old? This was after, like, 19 and that kind of thing. So by 19-year-old kidnaps a policeman. By 1974, he was now again back in jail for other things, but he's but he would be you know in and out of jail. Wow. When he was in jail at this point in 74, early 74, um, he became pen pals with a Californian woman, Californian woman named um, Angela Kovic, and she wrote him letters. He wrote back. She was smitten immediately, like within two or three letters. Um, and now this is. She she herself, she was a divorced, recently divorced cocktail waitress when she started writing to him. And, and how old was she? I didn't say how old she was, but um, this is what's weird. Like, So some sources said that uh, they he proposed to her over written letters. That's weird. Another one said that she actually came out at one point and visited him and he proposed when she visited. So I don't know which one was which because it just different sources of different things. Um, but in either case, she was smitten, and she, I don't know how she did this, but she ended up hiring a lawyer to help him uh, get released or, you know, get parole. Oh, my God. And the lawyer succeeded, oh my got God. him paroled, and arranged flights for him to come to San Francisco to marry Kovic, which I don't understand how that works. I thought you weren't allowed to leave state lines, but I guess from a lawyer's perspective, if it's all up and up that he's coming to marry and this and that, I don't know how that happened, but... He did it. She must feel like so awful if she knows now that like he did all this stuff and she pretty much got him out of jail. Yeah. 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 So uh, when uh, Knowles comes to San Francisco and meets with Kovic, Kovic now notices this darkness in his aura and um, she calls off the wedding like when he's there. And she also had just recently visited a psychic that told uh -huh. her that a new man would be entering her life and that would that he that person would bring danger too. So between that and this feeling, she's just like, I'm done. Wow. Now, that rejection is what is believed to take um, good old uh, good old Knowles down this ugly, ugly path. Really? That's what really that's what took him down this path. He later confessed that. He had murdered three people that evening Whoa. in San Francisco before flying back to Jacksonville. It's just vagrants. There was they never found any bodies, so they don't know if that was true or not. Oh. Um, the but day so he went back to Jacksonville. That day he returned that evening, he got in a bar fight with a bartender, pulled out a knife, and was immediately thrown back into jail. <laughs> On July twenty sixth, nineteen seventy four, he picked the lock of his jail cell and oh, escaped. My God. So again, he's got nothing. He needed money. He needed to get out of town as fast as he could. So he basically did what he knew best, Rob. Unfortunately, for 65-year-old Alice Curtis, she was the first target, oh. or her home, really. He broke in, found this retired teacher alone. He bound and gagged her while he ransacked the place and took as many valuables as he could, and he stole her car. Curtis would be found dead the next day. Oh. She had choked on her dentures. Oh, my God. While he's fleeing in this car, in this town where he's, he, you know, he's known, he runs across these two girls named Lillian, who's 11, and Milette, 7, last oh. name Anderson. And they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, no. Knowles recognized them as old family friends, and he was scared that they may have recognized him. So he kidnapped them, strangled them, and then <gasps> dumped them in a swamp. Oh, my God. Now, there is speculation that Knowles had no idea that Co uh, Curtis had died, like because he just bound and gagged her and ra robbed her and left. 
But again, it's his fault. Like she choked yeah. out his dentures, right? But the killing of the Anderson sisters, he did knowingly. Yeah. I, I don't want to say it's premeditated because it was like it, it happened in the spur of the moment. Yeah. But that was his first murders that they had bodies found. That was like intentional. Right. He would then start a killing spree that would take him almost all the way up to the East Coast. I believe as, as high as Maine, as far west as Nevada, back through Texas, stopping in Georgia, and then going finally back to Florida. Oh, my God. God. So these are the killings. I'm going to go to, this is directly from basically Wiki and Murderpedia, right? So in August, after those, Kovic and the two girls, the two sisters, Marjorie Howe lived in Atlantic Beach, Florida. She was strangled with a nylon stocking. The motive was apparently that Noel stole her television. Are you serious? Now, again in August, Ima Jean Sanders, she was a 13 year old runaway run from oh, Beaumont, God. Texas, where, um, and, he, she was on her way to go, to try to get to Georgia. He picked her up and he raped and strangled her. Oh my God. On August 23rd, Kathy Pierce was strangled with a cord of her, with her, of her t- own telephone. Oh. Her three-year-old son who was present oh, was no. unharmed. Okay. He was fine. September 3rd, William Bates was murdered. He was sharing um, some drinks with Knowles in Ohio, oh. Lima, Lima, Ohio, um, or Lima, Ohio, um, and he, uh, his body wouldn't be discovered until in October. But his car, money, and credit cards were all taken by Knowles. Ugh. September 18th, Emmett and Lois Johnson were camping out in Eli, Nevada. And Knowles murdered them both, robbed oh, them. God. September 21st, Charlene uh, Hicks, was she was killed. Her motorcycle had broken down in uh, Seguin, um, Texas. He raped her before strangling her, strangling her and then dragging her body through some barbed wire. Oh my, that's just, ugh. Between September 23rd and 29th, he met a woman named Ann Dawson. She was from Birmingham, Alabama. I think this was in Alabama as well. They traveled for those six days together, and then Knowles killed her on September 29th. Her oh, body was never found. God. October 16th, Karen Weiner's 16-year-old daughter, Dawn, they were bound, raped, and strangled with a nylon, a oh nylon stocking. Um, they were discovered by uh, Karen's eldest daughter cheryl and they noticed that a tape recorder was missing from the house at the time oh god Knowles apparently used that tape recorder where he started to keep a running diary of his crimes and his past crimes and recorded them all like in the middle of them or so he's recorded he 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 recorded his confess he basically was a a confession diary oh he didn't like record the actual crime no no he was just saying what he did on october 18th um Doris Hosey is shot dead in her home. Oh. On November 2nd, Edward Hilliard and Debbie Griffin were hitchhiking near Midgeville, Georgia. Hilliard's body was found in the nearby woods, but Griffin's remains were never discovered. Um, Knowles was not proven to have murdered them, but he was under strong suspicion. And the reason why is on November 6th, he killed Carswell and Amanda Carr in Midgeville, Georgia. Oh, my God. Sorry, not Milledgeville, Milledgeville, uh, Georgia. November 7th. So the day before he's killed those two people, he meets, on the next day, he beats, meets uh, Sandy Fox, and they travel together, arriving in Florida on November 10th. Wow. So the next day he meets her, and oh my God. On November 11th, he attempts the rape of Susan McKenzie, and now there's an APB out for his arrest. Wow. On November 17th, Florida Highway Patrol Trooper Charles Eugene Campbell recognized the stolen car, the one from uh, um, that he had taken after right. leaving. Um, as he attempted to make the arrest, Knowles overpowered him and abducted him in oh. in uh, in uh, Perry, Florida. So what was said was that like I don't think he knew it was Knowles in the car. The policeman came up and Knowles was just ready to get him and got him. So then he jumps in the police car. Oh my with God. Campbell. Oh my God. And they pull over another motorist named James Meyer. And then they go into his car and he takes both the policeman and James Meyer in the in Meyer's car and they start driving. He then goes into the woods with the two of them, handcuffs them together around the trunk of a tree. So oh they're back God. to back, and he shoots them both dead. Oh. On November twenty first, in Henry County, Georgia, oh he tried to drive through a police roadblock. He lost control of the car while he was doing it and he hit a tree jumps out of the car and escapes on foot being pursued by you know the authorities and he's shooting back at them do they catch him 
Hours later, he is apprehended by a citizen with a shotgun and is finally arrested. Oh, my God. So, now, while in custody, he confesses to 35 murders. 35. And in between that time, that tape recorder, he had taken those tapes and he had sent them to the lawyer that got him out paroled and said, do not release these until my death because I want to live in um, infamy for the murders I've committed. These are my confession tapes. Um, Please tell me he just put them out anyway. The police found out about this and pressured the lawyer and the lawyer released the tapes to the police. Good. Oh my God. Um, Now, Knowles is now a sensation. He's getting everything he wants. He's in there, the Casanova killer, you know, this good looking dude, you know, all these things he's done. He's, and he's loving the attention. However, he soon realizes that his killing spree that's been around so many states assures him of the death penalty. And all of a sudden he becomes this little baby. And again, he also killed a cop and he's now scared to death of actually getting an electric chair. (laughs) So he's doing everything to get just a life sentence by telling him he will confess to whatever and he will give all the details and he'll get, he'll show where all the bodies are. So on December 18th, the Henry County Sheriff, his name's Sheriff Lee, and a agent from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, his name's Agent Angel, took Knowles to go find the gun that had killed the cop, because it was actually the cop's gun as well, because he said he had oh. dumped it somewhere. So they go out in the car, and he's, Knowles is handcuffed, and he's in the back of the car. Sheriff's driving, Angel's in the front seat. Somehow... He had hidden a paperclip. Oh, come he, on. Um unlocks his handcuffs, oh, goes over on. the seat to grab the gun. <gasps> so he's trying to grab the sheriff's gun, shoots it in his holster, which just kind of goes through. And Angel believes that this is it. He takes his gun and puts three bullets into Knowles, kills That's him. That's justified. There's unjustified and there's justified. And that was justified. So... What's crazy about this whole thing is that Noel's M.O., there was no pattern whatsoever. Completely random. He killed women. He killed men. He killed girls. He, he, there was actually, he, he had, he, um, uh, not attempted. He was a necrophiliac. Um, he raped girls. Uh, he strangled. He used guns. There was, again, no pattern to anything. Out of the 35 killings he confessed, 20 were corroborated. What was weird was the one thing he didn't do, he didn't harm any boys at any point. And the other thing was, not only Sandy Fox, there was another reporter that he, I don't want to say hooked up with, but they got together in the sense of driving around. And when he found out she was a journalist, he let her go as well. Because he wanted his story to to be told. Oh my, oh my So the motive they believe for all these things were just completely Attention. attention, his infamy, um, and again, he saw those journalists, right, as being Ugh. the story, uh, to keep his story alive. But he just didn't. killed haphazardly, right? I mean, sometimes yeah, he killed, sometimes like... he didn't. So in a way, it's actually the worst kind of killer you could have. Um, wow. Sandy mm-hmm. Fox wrote, that, wrote a book called Killing Time in 1977. It was republished in 2004 as Natural Born Killer. I feel like I know that, that one. But I guess he didn't like become that infamous because i didn't really know who he was until today and that's the story wow of i can't remember his whole name now see that's great we don't remember it. paul john knowles wow the casanova killer so there you go that's insane that's like like we were talking about earlier uh in a previous episode like people that kill at random is like that's like probably he, he was, I mean, when he was growing up, I think his father was like, he was kind of on his own, like after he was, even after his brother, I think his dad oh. kind of just sent him away and that kind of thing. So he always had a problem. So any little, he actually, um, for little boys, I think he had a soft spot for them. That's why he never oh, harmed them like, he never because he just saw himself in them. Yeah, exactly. Wow. But yeah, but yeah. So there you go. Wow. Okay. So this week, our fun fact is about Casanova, because I had no idea that Casanova was a person, um, which I guess I'm pretty stupid. Uh, but basically... No, it's probably a good thing you don't, because he was just like a womanizer and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, 
Uh, basically, he was alive in France and was known for his romantic, scandalous acts. So, basically, he was put in prison for the crime of, quote, affront to religion and decency. And uh, while in prison, he um, made this plan to escape where he smuggled a, like, a piece of black marble and an iron bar into his cell. And he carved the bar into a spike and spent like weeks hacking a hole on his the wooden floor of his cell that led directly to the uh inquisitor's room <laughs> but he knew it was the inquisitor's room oh, so okay. his plan was during like this festival thing when the inquisitor wouldn't be there he was gonna escape through the floorboards but then like <laughs> uh i believe it was it was three days before his escape plan they moved him to a very luxurious cell <laughs> And he, like, begged to be put back in his old cell. But they were like, yeah, no, you're going to be in, in luxury. And apparently he said about this, quote, I sat in my armchair like a man in a stupor, motionless as a statue. I saw that I had wasted all the efforts I had made, and I could not repent of them. Hopefully somebody else used it and got out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But I guess if they used it, they might have fallen right into the Inquisitor's arms. Fair enough. So yeah, that's the fun fact. <laughs> Didn't know that. Quite a story, but apparently it, like he scared his friend into a coma by digging up like a corpse or something and scaring them with it. God. So. Yikes. Okay. Uh any last thoughts? No, just getting ready for this road trip. <laughs> it's going to be fun. All right. All right. So, uh, if you would like to submit your own fun facts or you have suggestions for a story or you want to tell us about your own story that's happened to you or a friend or a neighbor or whatever, uh, send them to our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. You can also submit them through our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. We also have images from every episode there and other fun stuff. Check that out. It's cool. Uh, we're on social media on Instagram at everything in podcast on Twitter at between underscore podcast on Facebook as everything in between podcast, both a page and a group. Uh, join those, follow those, say hi. We announce new episodes on there, stuff like that. Also, uh, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really, really helps. Um, just in general. It yeah, helps. absolutely. And of course... Uh, don't forget to check out our playlist on Spotify. Yeah, you should add that. You should make that the hot link under our Instagram bio, just so people, and we we'll post something on Instagram. That I mean, right now it goes to our website. Yeah, let's just put our Spotify bio there. Okay. Okay, I'll put it there. I mean, Spotify link, and then we'll just make a post on Insta that says, "Hey, check it out," so they can see. All right. Yeah, but it has uh, all the song titles of our episodes, and it's actually a really good playlist in general. Like. I got some good ones coming this week, so yeah. Oh yeah. Uh so yeah, I think that's about it. And uh besides that, I guess see you next week. Hopefully, depending if we're hopefully. Alive. All right. <laughs> see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>